skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found a skull. I think you guys are going to want to come film this. Put him out, put him out, put him out, put him out, put him out. Put him out. I just see it, I just see it, I just see it. Sighted of a UFO hovering over a barn. Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into the bedroom, she said there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through a barbed wire fence. They were able to obtain hairs. They sent the hairs to their lab, and it came back as an unknown creature. Hello, freaks and geeks. Welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet with the most bizarre crew on the internet. I'm Shane. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. So tonight's episode is going to be part two of our uh, yet-to-be-determined number of Dogman episodes we're doing. And Shane's kind of going to be taking the lead on this one and talking about something that's uh, close to his heart and his neck of the woods. So Shane, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight? Man, I don't even know how to exactly label it because... When it comes to Dogman, like, we're doing this big series, so it's, like, multiple parts, but this is part one of Michigan Dogman, but it's, like, part two of the series, however people want to word that. It's part of the whole Dogman saga. That's what we'll call it. The Dogman saga. And this it's is... like Star Wars. Like, <laughs> exactly. The, the Skywalker <laughs> saga and the prequels. This is, like, the Michigan interlude. <laughs> all of them kind of lead into each other, but they're all kind of spaced out a little bit, so <laughs> we're just gonna, we're gonna keep building up, because this is probably gonna be something that's going to last for a while because uh we're gonna we're gonna split it up of course do some other deep dives in the middle of it but we want to make sure we kind of cover dogman from all bases so that being said this time we're going to be covering the michigan dogman which is near and dear to my heart of course which was kind of the route to why we even started wanting to do this dogman series in the first place so this one's definitely going to be at least two parts um, and then like we we're mentioning on the previous episode where we did the last Dogman lore episode, uh, the next one after this most likely is going to be Beast of Bray Road, um, and then the Rougarou, and then the other one we kind of have on the roster is the European werewolf slash black dog lore. So that's at least where we're at currently. There may be more in the future. If there's other encounters that you guys want us to do, of course, let us know. Um, maybe we might even do uh, Lane Between the Two Lakes. We kind of covered that a little bit on the last one. But if we really dig into like more encounters besides the main one, maybe that'll turn into a full episode. But I guess we'll kind of just play it by ear, you know? It is what it is. Yeah, all this is uh, subject to change. So. <laughs> but uh, before we get into the episode, of course, uh, is there anything new and exciting that you guys would like to share with the listeners going on in your guys' lives? Um, not too much going on on our end. Um, like we mentioned before we started recording, you're in the midst of a snowstorm and it's uh, 70, <laughs> uh, what, like 75 degrees yeah, here today. Yeah. So Got my Michigan accent on today, which for anybody that's not familiar, that's when you can breathe through one nostril and the other one is completely closed. So you just talk from the back of your throat. So if my voice sounds a little bit deeper, raspier today, everybody, I apologize in advance, but can't help with the Michigan accent. <laughs> No, that's awful. Boo! Boo cold weather! No! <laughs> yeah, there was a pollen on our cars this morning. Yeah. So. But no, uh, the only announcement we really have, uh, same as 
previous episodes, um, April 1st, we're going to be at Encounter Quest in Hamlet, North Carolina. So uh, if any of the listeners out there are going to make it out to that show, please come up and talk to us. Uh, we're not going to be vending or anything like that, but should be a good show. Lots of good speakers. Um, Ron Moorhead, our friends from Cryptids of the Corn are going to be there. And uh, Daryl Sims, who we actually just saw on an episode of Ancient Aliens we were watching tonight. So that's pretty <laughs> interesting. But that's that's pretty much the only thing we got going on on our end. And uh, for all the listeners also, I'm going to attempt to try to make it out there also. So maybe you guys will look out and get to pop up to the first event where we actually all get to meet each other for the first time in person also and uh, get to see the full Bizarre crew. And of course, if we do that, we're going to have to take some pictures because that'll probably be one of the only opportunities yearly that we really get to do that. So, <laughs> But that also being said... Um, I'm still planning on hopefully trying to do CryptidCon. Um, as far as the vending goes, it's something that we would definitely like to do. Um, but we want to get your guys' feedback on that. Like, Let us know if it's something that you guys would be interested in seeing, if you guys want to be able to get some of our merch that way, if you guys want to pop up and have conversations. Because uh, you know, if enough people don't really seem interested this year, maybe we'll push it to next year and just kind of attend this year. But if people do seem interested in us vending, then we're definitely going to try to do a thing where we all kind of group together and vend um, and not just vend just this show, but we'll probably just use the booth overall for um, the framework for inquiries of our reality, my solo show, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, give us uh, your guys feedback on that one. <clears throat> Another one that I'm definitely going to be at this year. And unfortunately I don't think Oren and Jenny will be able to make it out to it, but if they are, it would still be really cool. But if not, it, it's going to be fun either way. Uh, Bigfoot and Bruce, which is in Michigan. Um, from what I was hearing from Eric, I think he was saying that's going to be happening in September. So anybody that's interested in that, uh, definitely uh, keep keep your eyes and ears open and uh, keep up for updates on that with Uncomfortable. And uh, shout out to Eric, of course, for anybody that isn't familiar with the show, go check out Uncomfortable. <laughs> but Yeah, we're probably not going to be able to make it out to that one, but uh, definitely if there's anything that uh, our listeners want us to try to work on, we're all ears, open to suggestions. And uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, if anyone out there wants to share their encounters with us, uh, you can contact us through email at bizarreencounters at outlook.com. And we're always looking for fun, crazy stories to either read on air or if uh, you'd rather us just keep it to our uh, ourselves for our personal research, we, we can do that as well. Uh, so any topics or researchers or anything like that uh, that you guys want us to try to cover here on the show, please uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, another option too, if you guys want to get a hold of us, of course you can always email us through uh, bizarre encounters at outlook.com. Uh, there's also a submission form on the top of the link tree. And if anybody emails us more often than not, it seems to always go to the spam folder or junk folder. So keep an eye out for that. Cause I do respond to every single email that we get. Um, it's just a matter of, again, like I always say it not being lost. Uh, you guys can also shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the thing that I'm the most active on. So if you guys want to share your encounters, uh, possibly be a guest on the show and you guys want to get a, the fastest possible response, your best option is going to be through Instagram. Uh, go to the Bizarre Encounters page, of course. And while you're there, you might as well throw us a follow because that's always appreciated. Um, and while you're doing that, if you guys want to pop in, have some more awesome conversations with some more awesome people, you guys can uh, always pop onto the Telegram or the Discord. Uh, we appreciate all you guys popping on there. And uh, it's just a matter of, again, like I always say, kind of building it up a little bit. 
Um, we just recently started kind of promoting that. So we're kind of hoping to bring some more people into that and hopefully uh, build it up and form a little community because we kind of have these little isolated groups of listeners and people that we all talk to, but we're trying to find a way to kind of coordinate them all together so that they can all kind of get to know each other and develop a fun community hopefully down the road. But uh, if you guys want to support the show, make it so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Uh, there's multiple options of doing so. Uh, you guys can always go and get some of our awesome merch that I design over on our Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, you can also go and check out the Open Minds Media Patreon where you'll get live access to shows. Uh, you'll get early access to episodes. Um, there might even be some exclusive content as far as Bizarre Encounters goes down the line. Um, I'm working on some stuff for the solo show right now, which is all kind of incorporated into that. But I want to try to maybe even if it's just little bonus things here and there, like a monthly hangout or something, we'll figure something out and try to make it so that there's some more exclusive stuff for the uh, Bizarre Encounters listeners. Um, another option too, you can always go to Red Circle. That's our RSS host. Uh, there you can donate whatever. Um, our main goal that we're trying to work up towards is getting Orin and Jenny a little bit more crisp of a microphone. So anything that you guys want to throw is going to go directly towards the show and we greatly greatly appreciate all your guys uh help and support so um <clears throat> and if you guys are in the business of supporting more local creators go and check out joe crypto theology he's always killing it over there with all of his cryptid alien ufo t-shirt designs and he's always adding new stuff so if there's not anything that you like currently i guarantee you in the next couple of weeks you'll find something else that you like because that dude's killing it over there but jenny <laughs> okay and all the links we've mentioned are listed in the link tree in the show description. And with that, I guess that we're going to get into this extensive show today. So, <clears throat> good spot to start, probably, as far as uh, Michigan Dogman goes, is kind of giving people a rough description of what exactly the Michigan Dogman is as far as what it looks like. So, descriptions of the Michigan Dogman have varied over the years, so it's safe to say it's not a lone wolf. There are more of its kind or different types of its kind. These creatures usually have glowing amber or icy blue eyes, the head of a dog with vicious fangs, and a horse torso. They also stand up on two legs and are anywhere between six and seven feet tall. They are fast and allegedly have a horrible scream slash howl sound. So at least as far as like Michigan one goes, the main description, of course, is kind of like that grayish, blackish kind of color with uh, the amber eyes. But of course, like that mentioned, there's uh, multiple variations of it. So I kind of have like a little list here of the different variations. So I'm just going to try to run through this real quick because I'm sure you guys don't want to get caught up on it. But I always find the descriptions to be fascinating for even the sake of people that are trying to kind of categorize or figure out their story. Because like we kind of talked about on a previous episode, there's a good chance that a lot of dogman encounters have been misconstrued with Sasquatch encounters. So if you kind of give people a little bit of a frame of reference, it may be able to kind of help people rationalize their encounters. So again, that's why I'm kind of going so extensive as far as like the visuals go here. But uh, the I'll just, I got to run through them in order here. Um, most people who have never seen a dog man will usually imagine the creature as a wolf or dog sized beast with the ability to walk on its hind legs. This is not always the case as you will learn the variances of dog man. According to most cryptozoologists, there are seven variants. When all documented dog man sightings are compiled, we can see they come in all shapes and sizes, but one thing is generally the same, the snout. So type threes, type three, Dogman can range in color from black, gray, brown, and even orange. One thing to remember is type 3 dogmen have legs and knees like humans. Type 3s are generally more ape-like in appearance, yet have a snout. They have been mistaken at times for a Sasquatch, but what separates them from the Sasquatch are their snouts. Type 3 variant 1 is tall, lean, strong, and has a baboon-style head. This type of dogman is what allows most researchers to believe dogmen are Dinopithecus, a giant baboon. 
Now, for anybody that isn't familiar with the whole Gigantopithecus and anything like that, um, there's a lot of Sasquatch lore that they believe that they are actually a descendant of an ape that came from the Asia area. Um, I guess a lot of people have kind of thrown that idea out the window um, as far as like Giganta, Gigantopithecus goes for Sasquatch, but uh, Dinopithecus assumably is in that same category and family with being the great baboon like it was mentioning. So it seems like it's more so probably another possible variation or side map of that. But I mean, if that is true, theoretically, that would mean that Sasquatch and Dogman would have some type of common ancestor, I would assume. Or well, at least for this variant. also gets back to, you know, kind of like bearing land bridge type stuff. Did these creatures come over from Asia, you know, back in the Ice Age, stuff like that, which I think is always fascinating to think about in a lot of this kind of stuff because it seems like, you know, it's possible that a lot of things can be explained away with the land bridge. I mean, just to throw in another potential theory, I don't know. Okay, so I know some animals can reproduce with each other and it actually genetically works. And I don't really know how, how to ex- exactly dig into this question, but you hear about a lot of like the lore about there being the giant sloths. And if there was also the, you know, Gigantopithecus, I wonder if at some point it would have been genetically possible for those two big hairy humanoid type creatures to mate with each other and possibly create another variation. And that could actually be theoretically where some of these things came from is the reason why it doesn't fit that for a lot of people is because it doesn't exactly fit that piece of the puzzle. But if you add another component to the puzzle, maybe it would start to make sense. But I guess I'll have to uh, ask somebody who's deep into biology to know if theoretically a giant sloth and a gigantopithecus slash giant baboon would be able to potentially possibly mate i don't, I don't know <laughs> i guess it depends on how lonely they were <laughs> true <laughs> i mean like obviously they're genetically two very different animals but like structure wise physically wise they're very similar creatures so i mean i mean they, they got the same kind of body parts components maybe it would make some kind of weird variation maybe it wouldn't be able to breed past that maybe it was able to breed past that i don't know just trying to let my mind wander and come up with more theories. Maybe somebody else can uh, dig into that, or maybe we can dig into it more in the future. But I don't know how to look up if two extinct animals would genetically be able to mate with each other. <laughs> You're going to need Google safe search off for that one, I think. <laughs> can these things mate? Uh, yeah, I feel like that This would... has been cryptid sexy time with Shane. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me going, man. Yeah, actually, well, we need Justin for that one because they're they know all about that fucking was it the like cosplay? These porno music on your soundboard there. Ooh, that's a good one. I need some of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's the Trailer Park Boys episode with Bubbles where they're like doing the Bigfoot documentary and they said they needed to sex it up because sex sells. I've never been so randy in all my days. That's the one you need to throw on there. If Actually, just a little shout out before we get back into the show. If you guys ever want to hear some weird, cryptid, porn-type storytelling, Hush Hush Society actually cryptid has porn. a handful that they do where they do it as like, like audio dramas of these weird sexual things. Like they showed me one where it was this lady who had intercourse with Nessie and it was like super deep, man. (laughs) They did a good job. It was (laughs) new kink just dropped cryptid porn. Yeah. Go check out hush, hush society for that one. (laughs) Hmm. 
you won't find it here, unfortunately, my friends. <laughs> so, uh, getting back uh, into the variations. Pay for the Patreon for that. <laughs> That's the Patreon That's the exclusive content. <laughs> no, that you just have to switch that one over to OnlyFans. Bizarre Crew After Dark. <laughs> OnlyFans.com. <laughs> Only available. TP slash. <laughs> Uh, so bringing it back in trying to reel it back in a little bit here about the dog men (laughs) before we go off on another tangent (laughs) I'll quit talking about scrumping cryptids (laughs) Um, I gotta gotta re-coordinate here gotta get get my head back in the game I'm all flustered after talking about cryptids having intercourse (laughs) all hot and bothered I'm all sweaty over here (laughs) type 3 variant 2 Hominid body, chop-like head. Because of their human-like appearance, they are often mistaken for werewolves. And just to finish out the variants here, uh, type 3, variant 3. Sasquatch with a muzzle. Hair can be puffy in appearance and are often mistaken for Bigfoot. So I actually have this chart in front of me. I don't know if you can see it, but we were going through it as you were going through the variants. So... Is that the same variance that I was mentioning, but like drawn yeah, visually? It's in Martin's book. Oh, perfect. No, as you were going through them, I was like, I think I've got that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> canine types. The canine type dogman resembles more of a werewolf in present day horror movies, like Underworld and Van Helsing. Not only do they have human like features, but have canine as well. Their heads are said to be huge looking like a canine, chest built like a bodybuilder with a more thinner appearance human-like hands with two or three inch claws and the hind legs of a canine. The normal height ranges are between seven to 10 feet tall. Canine variant type one, like a standing timber wolf and the thinnest of all the canine variants. Witnesses have said it looks exactly like a timber wolf, but is able to stand up on its hind legs. Hair color is often black, brown, white, and gray. Uh, Canine variant number two, hyena-like, and is best known for its rough and menacing-like features. Having been seen with spots on them like a hyena, it is unknown if this type of dog man keeps its calls like a hyena. Colors range from black and brown, often spotted with the appearance like it's smiling. So, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard a lot of stories about this variation where people have said it's this creepy, smiley look that they get from these dog men. So, that one seemed to pop off the page to me. I actually just read Martin Grove's book this past week, uh, the the Beast Between the Lakes, I believe is what it's called, and he specifically mentions in there about how it looked like these creatures were like smiling that he encountered. So it's pretty cool. And I've even heard people say that they've heard like uh, almost like a laugh cackle coming from the woods. So you know, considering it's a bigger animal than a hyena, I wonder if it's kind of using the same vocalization, but again, it's just coming from a different animal. So it's like billowing out of their body different and the sounds a bit different. Yeah. Angrier sounding. (laughs) Exactly. Not to mention the fact that hyenas are kind of doing it to alert where I feel like if a dog man's vocalizing, it's more so doing it to try to scare something out of its territory. Cause that's kind of the realization I've came to with a lot of dog man encounters is that it seems like they're protective of a certain territory and trying to get people out of that territory more so than anything. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> continuing along with uh, the different variations of them, uh, canine variation number three, large, strong bodied pointy ears and are the most commonly seen dog men. This type is much taller, built like a bodybuilder, athletic structure, muscular, and resembles the werewolves in movie in the movie Underworld, Van Helsing, and even dog soldiers. 
So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the generic. So I don't get why that one's very number three. But, you know, this should have been very number one. That probably would have made a lot more sense. But <laughs> uh, canine variant number four. And this one's the one that, it, that we're going to have some fun discussion with this one before I hop into the next one. Soldier. Extremely large head. Or what some eyewitnesses have said to be a fat head, which is uncommonly which is unusual, unfitting for the body. They are known to be more aggressive, have been known to kill other dogmen, and are believed to be a more superior type. They are much taller, leaner, and muscular than other dogmen. The color of these dogmen range from black to gray. Now, as far as that one goes, I know I've mentioned on the last episode about the genetically created dogmen, and that sounds like it perfectly fits that category of something that was intended to be created to result in destruction, you know? Especially with the athletic yeah, so build. like they picked the the biggest, strongest dogman and kind of bred a super soldier dogman. This is the uh, Captain America of dogmen. Yeah, that's the that's the fucking alpha right there. But <laughs> like I was kind of saying before, at least for like as far as my belief would go on it, I don't feel like they're taking like a soldier or taking a dogman and creating like like a like a werewolf out of it or some type of like mutation. I think that yes, if anything, they probably would take like DNA from like the best dog man they could find. Like the same way that you kind of do that with anything, including plants. Um, but I think that it's more so that they're gene splicing it with human DNA mm-hmm. and they're raising it up from like an embryo. Cause I don't see them doing that mad scientist like, let's turn a soldier into a werewolf type thing. Like I think that they're full blood creatures that they're creating and the werewolf variation I don't know, that might be something totally different mystical and like woo-woo, but at least as far as this dogman type stuff goes, I'm trying to look at it from like a real-world perspective and trying to like rationalize it as much as I can. And as far as like that stuff goes, I feel like that would be the best scenario way that somebody that was trying to do those types of experiments would be able to actually achieve those experiments with less complicated issues in the process. Yeah, I mean, like with aliens or anything like that, I always say, you know, what could this stuff mean in real world terms? And like you said, I mean, they're probably not werewolves. It's probably not a man that can turn into a wolf. But especially in light of, you know, all these like clandestine government type theories about this stuff, you could totally see how in ancient times, how stories of these creatures could get spun into the werewolf stories we have now miscommunication between people not really fully understanding what they're seeing too because i mean going both ways these things are very human-like in the aspect of if you caught them in the wrong light you could associate it as like oh there was a human turning into this thing but then in another light if you take you know like the people back in the day that would wear furs and different things like that if you saw somebody crouch down and standing up trying to hide while wearing fur there's another good assumption that you might be like that thing was turning into a beast but realistically you just saw it in the dark and it was a guy wearing like a pelt on his back but (laughs) or i mean i've also read accounts where they say that some of these dogman creatures can walk on all fours or just stand up and walk so i mean i think it's very easy to imagine that that got twisted through centuries and you know the game of telephone that oh this thing can walk like a man got turned into they can turn into a man, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that just seems to kind of make sense to me when, like I said, you look at these things in what could this mean in the real world type terms? Yeah. You kind of, kind of have to look at 
if somebody had no frame of reference, like how they would rationalize something. And I feel like with a lot of people, they don't take that into perspective when you deal with the original first cases of people first experiencing or seeing something is that they have no frame of reference yet. And I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you get a true, true description of what they're seeing without any type of like bias to it. It's people trying to describe indescribable things with the best language they have. So that's where you get things like, you know, it was a a flaming chariot in the sky or things like that. You know, it's the same type of idea. Like I think by and large, most people are being truthful and they're trying to describe the best way they can, what they saw. Sometimes the language we have just doesn't do justice to these crazy, bizarre things. I mean, even kind of pertaining to dog, man, like, you know, like where we're from, of course, we know it as like a dog man, right? Because it's a man that looks like a dog. You go to Europe and they're calling it a werewolf because it's a wolf like man. And then you go to like Africa and they're calling it the hyena man. And it's like, those are all the different variations of canine. That's what's local to that region. So that's what you associate it with. So just even off of that and just keeping it kind of in the same category, like dog man has continuous na- continuously different names just because of people trying to rationalize it to whatever animal is the most similar to exactly. it in their region. I mean, like we always say, we're all talking about the same thing here. Like the philosopher John Bon Jovi said, it's all the same, only the names have changed, you know? <laughs> Wait. I got you. <laughs> joke number one. We need like a joke Ta-ding. counter. Oh, that's another sound effect. I'll add that. The, the fucking count up. Yeah, there you go. Point for Orin. So uh, going back more towards the Michigan stuff. So that was kind of Dogman as like a whole kind of more particularly kind of geared towards Michigan, but um, going into like the local lore as far as Michigan goes, uh, there's a theory about them only appearing in 10-year cycles. Now, it seems like those 10-year cycle things only appear in one area, which is near like the Manistee Forest for anybody that's familiar, Um, but it seems like dogman encounters kind of happen regularly. Like it's not really held to the 10-year thing, but as far as there being an influx of encounters in that area around every 10 years, just kind of throwing out another theory on this one. Big alpha predators don't necessarily mate every single year. So what if that area where this 10 year cycle thing happens at is a breeding ground? And the reason why they get so um, vicious near that area is because either one, they're trying to do a public mating display by chasing cars, doing things like that, trying to show off to the biggest creatures in the area or two, that's again where they're mating or having their babies. So they're being extra protective to keep people away from like their mating and slash breeding areas. Um, again, just throwing another theory out there. Uh, potentially any animal that's an alpha isn't going to regularly be having babies. So there's going to be some type of like breeding pattern, something to it. And as far as like I can tell, as far as Michigan goes, it seems to be that, that maybe it's every 10 years, but that's just me trying to kind of collaborate and put some pieces together here. But well, first off, this is by far the sexiest episode we've ever recorded. Bounch, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, but number two, you know, this is what animals that we know of that exist do. Like, you know, salmon and all sorts of things have these cycles that they mate and reproduce on. So, I mean, if these are true flesh and blood creatures, I mean, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that they have these same ki- type of cycles. And, you know, even if they're a flesh and blood animal, but they come from some other dimension, you would think they would still have to adhere to some sort of laws of 
biology or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, they got to reproduce somehow and sometime. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, it seems to me that that could very easily be explained away as even if they're from somewhere else, they're still wild animals at the end of the day. And I mean, even with that 10 year cycle too, that seems like it's a pretty good spot where you can kind of get a kid to be self-sustaining, like as far as like the animal kingdom goes in that period of time. So then when you're going and having another kid, another dog man, baby, um, you wouldn't be dealing with your previous offspring. Like your previous offspring be 10 years old by then. And in Dogman years, who knows how that collaborates, but assumably at that point, they'd be able to hunt and fend for themselves. So you're not trying to take care of two babies at once because with these alpha type animals like that, I feel like more often than not seems to be like a focus on one. And then they teach them how to hunt, survive, do all that. And they kind of move on to the next one and then they'll have their next round of babies. And that's kind of how it goes as far as the kingdom goes. Now quantity of how many they have at once may vary, um, assumably maybe if they're more human, like it's just one at a time, but if they're dogman like I can't see them, especially with their size and everything, maybe, I don't know. Again, this is just me coming up with a number off the top of my head, just trying to logically figure it out in my own head. I couldn't personally see them having more than maybe like three babies at a time at the max. But again, that's just my opinion. So nobody quote me on that one, but <laughs> well, I mean, if this is some kind of intermediate type creature between canines and man you know human beings have typically one baby at a time uh canines have a whole litter so you know two three whatever i mean that seems like a a reasonable number to assume that their litters might be and i mean people it's not super regular but people have two to three babies too so i mean like looking at like we're capable with our structure of doing that and carrying two to three babies. So you add on that weight and the build of these things, and it could totally be a regular thing that they have two or three at a time. And it wouldn't have any extra stress than one single baby would have on like a normal human's body. And that might explain, you know, some of these sightings like the land between the lakes, Martin Grove sighting where there appears to be more than one creature that are stalking these people at a time. Yeah. Assumably too, when they're in their kind of breeding grounds, like you have to say, have extra food intake. So that could also kind of contribute to the fact of like when they're more violent could be during times of like pregnancy too, because they're trying to get that extra protein source. So at that point, they're not just going after things in the woods. If they know that there's like a slow moving person nearby, uh, they might take more of a chance to actually go after that first and rather than just kind of trying to like keep them out of their territory, so to speak. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, it totally depends on what your opinion or thoughts about what these things are. I mean, there's obviously the school of thought that they're basically true cryptids, just flesh and blood things that haven't been discovered. And I tend to think there's probably something a little weirder going on than just that. But I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I still think that there's multiple variations, not even just in the aspect of different like ways that they visually look, but I think that there's created ones, there's flesh and blood ones, and then there's still a probability of there being interdimensional ones, but that could also kind of link into the flesh and blood thing because I've mentioned it with Sasquatch before and other shows about they're possibly like you hear stories about people walking through time slips and sometimes those time slips correct themselves. And other times people claim that they'll just be living a life in like another reality that's slightly tweaked or different than their own. So if that's able to happen potentially with other creatures and beings, they could still be flesh and blood, but still have that link to being interdimensional because they walk through a time slip. And that could explain why 
footprints will just trail off and stop sometimes. Maybe the timeline theoretically corrects itself, or maybe some are trapped here indefinitely and the time slip never corrects itself. And then they start breeding and creating breeding populations in this reality. So then it brings into the aspect of them being interdimensional, but they're still rooted in this dimension now because they do have breeding in this dimension and anything assumably that was bred after that. Like if you kind of get into like deep timeline theories, it wouldn't be part of that original timeline. So if that original timeline corrected itself, that may not necessarily be a component of it. Or if you want to go like back to the future, if the parents get pulled back, those kids would just disappear, vanish. But I mean, that's getting into a whole other wheelhouse of stuff, but, (laughs) but no, I think you're kind of onto something there and taking a little bit of a detour, but not too much a conversation that me and Jenny have been having a lot here recently as we watch, uh, actually like different documentaries and whatnot, getting ready for this dog man series, you know, this term flesh and blood gets thrown around a lot. And a conversation we had is, you know, this is another one of those issues of language where in my opinion, something can be interdimensional. And also it's a flesh and blood thing. That's actually here. It might not be here all the time, but that doesn't mean that it's not flesh and blood. And I think that, Again, it's people trying to describe an indescribable thing, but when we say something is paranormal or interdimensional or something like that, that doesn't mean it's not a real flesh and blood thing that's here that's making footprints that's, you know, theoretically attacking people and whatever. So I think, you know, this idea that flesh and blood versus paranormal, yes, it comes down to language, but again, the truth is somewhere in the middle. You can be both. You can be a flesh and blood creature that's only here certain times when the situations or the energies or whatever is right. I mean, for me at least, and this is how I've always rationalized it. I don't know if the community itself is any different, but when I hear flesh and blood, what I think of is like a solid mass, if that makes sense. Like like a yeah. physical, solid, you can touch it, hard mass. And when it gets into things that aren't flesh and blood, what I would describe for that would be like ghosts, um, apparitions, spirits, like things that you can't like physically touch. So the interdimensional thing isn't even like a category in my mind when it comes to that. Like when I'm using that word, I'm more so describing something that's like physical you could touch versus something that's kind of like partly into the spiritual. So, I mean, there yeah, is still no, that aspect of dogmen, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%, but like with some things we've been watching, you know, when they talk about the, you know, the woo-woo stranger side of things versus, you know, a true cryptid, people will be like, oh, oh, this is a flesh and blood creature. I thought, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something weirder going on, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, so... That's just uh, kind of my soapbox that I've been on here recently, like, the truth is somewhere in the middle probably well definitely let it out man because i'm one of those people that it's not really like a sidetrack from the show if you're trying to like get out some information that you see is important so no sidetrack at all if it's important man say it (laughs) all right well i'm gonna climb off the soapbox and uh let you continue (laughs) so uh along with the dog man (laughs) getting into michigan dog man of course uh you definitely have to make reference to um steve cook as far as the legend the song goes which I'm going to run through kind of like the background of that song, and then I'll play a little snippet of it for you guys that uh, aren't familiar with the song. But if you want to go and check it out, I don't know how copyright stuff works, so you guys can go and check out the full song on your own. I'm just going to play a snippet. But as far as the background for the song goes, in 1987, disc jockey Steve Cook at WTCM-FM in Traverse City, Michigan, recorded a song titled The Legend, which he initially played as an April Fool's joke. 
He based the song on myths and legends from around North America and had never actually heard of or seen a dogman at the time of the recording. Steve Cook said, I made it up completely from my own imagination as an April Fool's prank for the radio and stumbled my way to a legend that goes back all the way to Native American times. Cook maintains his skepticism about the possibility of the real dogman. Uh, he had this to say about the matter. I'm tremendously skeptical because I've sort of seen the way folklore becomes built from the creation of this song to what it's turned into. But I do believe people who think they saw something really did see something. I also think that the Dogman provides them with an avenue to explain what they can't explain for themselves. Cook recorded the song with a keyboard backup and credited it to Bob Farley. After he played the song, Cook received calls from listeners who said that they had encountered a similar creature. In the next weeks after Cook first played the song, it was the most requested song on the station. He also sold cassettes of the song for $4 and donated proceeds from the single to an animal shelter. Over the years, Cook has received more than 100 reports of the creature's existence. So again, I know everybody usually hits that one, so I'm not trying to go too, too far in depth as far as like the, the song goes, but that's kind of at least the base premise of the song to give people kind of an idea of it. A cool summer morning in early June is when the legend began. At a nameless logging camp in Wexford County where the Manistee River ran. Eleven lumberjacks near the Garland Swamp found an animal they thought was a dog. In a playful mood, they chased it around till it ran inside a hollow log. A logger named Johnson grabbed him a stick and poked around inside. Then the thing let out an unearthly scream and came out and stood upright. So that's a good spot to stop it at. And I find this part funny. So he wrote the song, like he said, completely like out of fiction for fun is like an April Fool's joke, right? But the encounter that he just stated is also the one that people register as being the first Michigan Dogman encounter. So this is where I kind of fall into a weird spot where I'm like, is this a real encounter? Or was it just part of the song? But because of just folklore, people playing telephone and shit, it's become so in tuned as part of the lore that I don't know where exactly you can separate it from. But so the the first documented sightings, supposedly, of the of the Michigan Dogman, this creature was unknown to most of the modern world until very late in the 20th century. It is said to have been stalking the area around the Manistee River since the days when the Ottawa tribes lived there. Authentic sources for sightings made prior to 1987, however, have never been documented beyond Steve Cook's song. The first sighting of the dogman was in Wexford County in the year 1887. A couple of lumberjacks spotted him as they were working. They described him as having a man's body and a dog's head. Since then, there have been many reported sightings of this creature throughout Michigan. Uh, the majority of the sightings, though, have been in the northern quadrant. Now, in 1938, in Paris, Michigan, 17-year-old Robert Fortney was fishing along the Muskegon River when a pack of wild dogs attacked him. He was able to scare most of them away by firing a shotgun into the air, but one seemed to not be phased by the firearm. Fortney didn't report this encounter until 49 years later, but he swore the beast reared up on its hind legs and stared him down with its piercing blue eyes. So, as far as, like, the original sightings go... I kind of, the Wexford one, I'm kind of 
on the fence with that one, like I said, because it was in the song. But as far as documented sightings go, the one that I would kind of maybe register more so as being the first sighting would definitely be that Paris encounter with the 17-year-old. And when I hear encounters where people don't report them until years and years later, though, I kind of it's a mixed bag on it. It's like I almost want to believe them more because they didn't want to tell their story. But at the same time, though, you kind of have that stipulation in the back of your mind that maybe they're reporting it because it became more popular and maybe they're just trying to get their piece into the story of it. But uh, I guess you kind of have to dig into the background of the individual in that case to know if they seem to have been trying to make money or anything off of it. But if it seems like it's somebody that just kind of reported the story and walked away from it, such as this person did, um, I kind of have, I'm more inclined to believe those types of stories personally, but. Well, I think in a lot of cases like that, you know, especially nowadays with the internet and podcasts and things like that, if people had a weird encounter years ago that they might not have had a frame of reference for what it was, and you might see something or run across or hear something now that jogs your memory, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what happened to me in 19 whenever. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Jenny tells her story about kind of her shadow people experience, like, you know, at first thought she was crazy. And then the more we got talking about it and okay, this could actually be this. All right. Well, that maybe is what's going on. So I think, yeah, you're totally right. You've always got to take all this with a grain of salt, but I think the internet has been huge for the entire paranormal community. And a lot of people that probably were scared to come forward because they didn't even know what they saw. Well, now they have, easily accessible information to kind of figure out and base their opinions off of. I mean, we kind of get babied in the aspect of like, we're part of this community. So it's like, we're so used to openly talking about all of this stuff without anybody thinking it's crazy or weird that I don't know about you guys, but I'll go into like my personal, like normal, like work life. And I'll just start ranting about like Sasquatch and people look at me like I'm insane. And it's like in our community, it's so normal to talk about that. Nobody like bats an eye at it, but the rest of the world isn't like that. So anybody yeah. that's listening to this, you know, you kind of get that mixed bag of it. If you're in the community, then it's like kind of a weird frame of reference. But if you're not in the community, you totally get it that until you find the community to talk to, like there's nobody to tell that story to that. They're going to actually take it with any type of sincerity to it. They're just going to look at you like, ah, like whatever. Blah, blah, blah. As soon as somebody tells that they saw weird lights in the sky, anything weird while in the woods previous to like 2000, every fucking buddy Besides, maybe like 2% was looking at them weird. And now we're at the point where maybe it's like 15% of people are like, ah. but, you know, we're getting somewhere. It's down the road. I feel like it's it's a process. We're going to get to a point where everybody can start actually openly talking about this stuff in the mainstream of everything. And it'll bring a lot more conclusions to a lot of questions that a lot of us have in the community when it's a thing that's more not hidden in the dark as far as research goes. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, I feel like there's been so much more acceptance and openness about all this sort of thing in just a relatively short period of time. And, you know, at the point that anybody with a MacBook and a dream can start a podcast and we can talk about this sort of thing, you know, that's huge for not just weirdos like us, but for normal everyday people who aren't into this sort of thing, but had these strange experiences and they can just get on their phone and, you know, search 
a couple key words, and then the next thing you know, you can listen to unlimited podcasts about this weird experience you had. And, you know, I've joked around on other shows I've been on. I don't know if I've said it on anything we've talked about, but kind of like you were saying, you know, people at work, whatever, it doesn't take very long for your coworkers to figure out you're like the weird guy at work, you know, like <laughs> now, uh, you know, whenever I go on my lunch break and I've got my book under my arm, like, Oh, what are you reading now? Is it, is it aliens? Is it Bigfoot? No, I know it's aliens this week. You know? So <laughs> dude, I'm always like wearing my stuff, stuff at work too. Like all my cryptid shirts and everything. <laughs> and I don't know if people are patronizing me or not, but my like head growers, brother knows me personally like we used to like hang out and go like foraging and everything like that together so whenever he calls him on the phone he calls me um squatch and shane or something along those lines so now my head grower is always like oh it's a uh, cryptid hunter shane or squatch hunting shane and it's like <laughs> i don't know if the dude's being funny and fun or if he's trying to patronize me but either way i just Probably accept it for what it is yeah i think he's trying to be funny and you know i think people like y'all said, people talking about this more. And I feel like I was, I haven't read the book personally, but one of Linda Godfrey's books, she took um, anonymous encounters because people didn't want to, they didn't want their 15 minutes of fame. They didn't want money from it. They just wanted to tell their dog man weird stories. And they're in the, in said book. I can't remember which one it is, but yeah. Hey, that's a perfect spot to say, Anybody, literally anybody that's had a dogman encounter, that's a listener, whether it's a short story, a long story, uh, in the mix of doing these episodes, we would love to have somebody on that's had some dogman encounters, preferably multiple people, even if we can share stuff in the beginning of the show. So please, please, please share all of your encounters with us. And, you know, like we said before, we'll either keep them for ourselves if it's something that you guys don't want out or we'll do them in the beginning of the show. But particularly, if you have a dogman encounter or a dogman story, please, 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 please contact us because <laughs> we would love to hear And it. even if, you know, some of our listeners have had just weird things that they don't know what they saw. It might be a dogman. It might be something else. But if anything, you know, we've kind of discussed in this series jogs your memory, shoot it to it. I mean, we'd be more than glad to share or read or give our two cents about anything weird y'all have got going on out there. Even help you dissect it. Cause that's something that we definitely like to do here too, is just try to help you rationalize and go piece by piece and try to bring some realization to what you saw or may have encountered. But yeah, cause we're professionals over here. So professional podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, going back into the dog man stuff, uh, this is my personal favorite story when it comes to the Michigan Dogman lore. And this one does have a picture with it, which I will include on the cover for the episode. So if anybody wants to see this picture that I speak of during this, it's right there. So just go and peek at it. But this one comes directly from the encounterer's son, who also was there when this happened. So... I'm going to be reading off his exact words of what he said. This is his story. This isn't anything with me changing it in it. It's exactly how he said it. So I figured that would be the best way to share the story was from, you know, from, from the direct mouth. So back in 1961 in Big Rapids, a father and a son encountered a dogman and actually got photographic proof of it. So coming from the son's mouth, this is what happened. When I was a boy, my father was the night watchman at a manufacturing plant located in a rural area between Big Rapids and Chippewa Lake, Michigan. Our house, which if I remember right, was a perk of the night watchman job, was across the street from the factory. 
The plant building was right next to a large wilderness area of state land. At this time, it was simply known as the Haymarsh, but now it is officially called Haymarsh State Game Area. We didn't understand it at the time, but Dad was always very skittish about letting us play outside after dark. He would sometimes talk about hearing coyotes or bears roaming around in the Haymarsh when he was walking the perimeter of the building at night. At night in the summer of 1961, Dad walked back to the house to sit on the porch and have a cup of coffee and a sweet roll. He had a good view of the entire plant property. He saw some movement near a chain-link fence behind the building. This was apparently at 3 a.m., so he felt quite sure this person wasn't there by accident. He drew his gun and watched for a few minutes. That's when he noticed it was not a person at all, but something much taller. He said it appeared to be covered in brown-slash-gray hair. It had very broad shoulders and a powerful chest. It alternated between walking on four legs, then standing up on two. He said it seemed to be looking for something along the driveway. He said later he couldn't quite believe what he was seeing. He quietly moved into the house and grabbed his Kodak Signet 35mm camera, which was his pride and joy. At this time, I should mention that Dad was quite a photography buff. His father had owned one of the first camera stores in Ohio, and Dad got the shutter bug from Grandpa. As he stepped back onto the front porch, the creature moved slowly along the driveway, directly under the lights. He adjusted the camera shutter for long exposure, held it as still as he could, he said he was shaking pretty bad by then, and snapped a picture. I've enclosed a print of it in this letter. Dad said a few seconds later, the thing dropped back down on all fours and slowly moved off into the woods to the left of this picture. He sent a print to the local newspaper and sent copies to several magazines. One that I think was called Mysterion published the photo in the spring issue of 1962. Dad had a copy of the magazine for years, but it was misplaced after he passed away. I still have the negative strip that contains this image if you would like to have someone examine it. I also still have Dad's Kodak Signet. I haven't shot any pictures with it for several years, but I'm pretty sure it still works. So as far as I've seen when it comes to this story, um, at least where I've dug up, I haven't found anybody that's been able to discredit this picture. And as far as like the older pictures go, especially considering it was from 1962 and the way this thing's kind of built and structured, it's not like it is nowadays. Like it's way harder to fake things like that in pictures compared to like what it is now. So at least like when it comes to these older accounts, um, if the pictures have been around since that time, not like the thing where, you know, somebody will say, oh, this film's from 1970 and it wasn't posted until like 2015. But if there's a picture that's been around since 1962 and that, that like there wouldn't have been a way to edit it like that back then. So I just kind of bring some more like realization into it. And especially considering again, like most of the stuff that we were mentioning, this guy didn't have a frame of reference when he was doing this because this came out before the legend came out. So (laughs) exactly. And that's kind of the same deal with like the Patterson Gimlin footage is let's be honest. They didn't have any way to fake that to that level in 1968, nine, whenever that was, I mean, look at planet of the apes basically at that same time. And it looks like they're wearing Halloween masks. You know, so same thing as it like people didn't have Photoshop, they didn't have AI and all that. Like, yeah, there's weird camera tricks and things like that. But basically, whatever's on the film is what happened. So, you guys don't see my screen yet? Oh, there it goes. Oh, it's popping up. You see it right here behind the pole? 
Yeah, you can definitely see like the outline of it behind the light pole. And at least the way it's shaped, you see like the reverse like hind dog legs back there. Huh. Can you guys see like my uh my arrow or could you guys not see that? Yes. Okay, so I can actually yeah, like point your stuff crosshair out. Or whatever. Yeah. So you guys can see oh, right here wow, the arch, yeah. right? And it kind of comes out on this mm -hmm. side of the pole too. So it has like the bow arch. Oh, and looking yeah. at the okay, height so of the it's pole. Like facing away from the camera. Because its head's right here. It's like peeking behind the pole. See it? Okay, yeah. It's, it, okay, it's facing away. Yeah, okay, I, I got it. And then now. here's an arm. Here's a leg. Here's the other arm. And looking at the size of this pole, this thing's at least like a third of the way up the pole. So this thing's pretty fucking tall. That's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. That'll be a good uh, background, whatever, image for the post. So uh, moving along to the next big encounter, we go to Manistee back in 1986. In the fall of 1986, out near Manistee, Michigan, Ray Greenway was driving home from the Manistee Army recruiting station late one night when he noticed something off in the darkened field beside him. His headlights were reflecting off what appeared to be eyes and were too high off the ground to be a deer. Suddenly, the unidentifiable creature began running towards him and made an incredible leap clear across the two-lane road. There was no animal that it could be. I knew that this was not a deer, Ray later recalled. He went on to describe its yellow eyes and impossible leaping ability. I do remember that I saw both eyes as if it was looking at me the whole time. That, along with the leaping ability, is what I will never forget. So going into, you know, kind of like the normal dog man descriptions of things, um, especially with like the Beast of Bray Road, I feel like there's a lot of encounters with people making reference to these things, being able to do these ridiculous hops across the road. And again, kind of going into like the dog physique of things, you look at a dog, especially like a pet dog, and you're just like, all right, that thing can't clear a couch. And then your dog out of nowhere will have these giant fucking spring legs and they'll clear the couch without even fucking touching it. So looking at it visually, it may not make sense that it can jump a two lane highway, but if you really break down to like what their legs are built like, especially the ones that are kind of have the more canine like back built legs, uh, I definitely think that they would be able to fucking easily clear clear a road. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, just kind of, this is joking, but not joking. My sister has a half pug, half French bulldog. So it's like barely, barely a living creature. But like this thing can like jump up and do shit that like this sack of flesh shouldn't be able to do so yeah if we're talking about an actual dog man thing it makes sense that it could do things that seem physically impossible like even with like the martin groves laying between the lakes encounter he talks about how this thing basically like jumped up from the ground to this uh, you know rock outcropping or whatever that was uh, above where they were camping so i mean if you take just a normal dog and extrapolate that times whatever these things are, that doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility to me. And I mean, especially considering that this one pertaining to a car and it was near Manistee, which assumably is near Manistee National Forest, which is like one of the main spots where a lot of these sightings happen and also is the home to a good amount of missing 411 cases, may I also add. Um, 
it could even have to do back with what I was saying with the whole um, like mating or trying to show off while mating. Because I feel like another way to show off while mating would be almost like playing chicken where they could just pretty much jump in front of cars and just show that they're not scared of them. And that'd be a good way to show a mate that you're fearless is by saying, you know what? I see this beast is charging down the road. I ain't scared of it. Watch this. And they'll just run right at it and stare at it directly. Like you'll see that with people that it's like you try to show your and assert your dominance by making direct eye contact. And it seems like whenever people have these car encounters, more often than not, they describe this weird direct eye contact the whole time that it's happening. And I feel like that's supposed to be a dominance thing more than anything. Well, I think what's so funny about that is, one, how often these car encounters turn up in dog man cases. And two, how funny is it, you know, something we always joke about with actual dogs is them chasing cars and shit. So how funny is it that to again, an extrapolated level, that's what these things are doing. It's mm-hmm. just a much more menacing, evil, scary version of, you know, the neighborhood dog chasing the postman. <laughs> the difference between funny and fear is a couple hundred pounds and about five feet. <laughs> and glowing red eyes. <laughs> but... um. I mean, even going off of, like, a dog's logic, too, they may not fully understand, like, what something is in particular. So even if, say, we're going back to dogmen trying to find a method of food, you know, they're chasing deers around, and compared to their size, like, it's a good meal, of course, but they could definitely use something bigger if they're trying to feed their whole pack, clan, whatever you want to call it. So them not necessarily fully understanding and them constantly going after cars and attacking cars themselves directly... I almost wonder if in their minds they're thinking that these cars are some type of big prey and their intention isn't necessarily to get the people inside, but they think that the car itself is an animal they can kill and eat. So it would totally make sense that they're hiding on the side of the road and waiting for these cars to come because they're probably intentionally trying to hunt cars. Yeah, I think that lends a lot of credence to the idea that it's very possible these are just wild animals from somewhere else see because my logic more often than not goes to two things one the gene splicing military created and just straight animals like primal animals (laughs) because it seems like there's a good split between the two at least for me and i feel like even the military ones would have been they would have had to have a frame of reference so there would have had to have been some type of natural creature in order for them to be like all right man let's try to create these things on our own so just off of their potentially being military ones, that would also bring in some type of credence that there are naturally occurring dogmen that inspired that idea. Because even going into like government technology, man, you can look into it. And a lot of government technology, weirdly enough, was the idea was created from sci-fi and like James Bond, for example. Like I know for particular, like the GPS built inside of cars, um, I had a good friend that was a really big uh, James Bond fan. And he got into this full rant about how that didn't exist in cars until they did it in James Bond. Then all of a sudden it became a regular thing as far as military goes. So the military is influenced around the military is influenced by things around them just as much as any artist is realistically. So, (laughs) so I can't believe you brought that up. Like I was always a James Bond nut when I was a kid. My dad was super into it. Oh, I fucking love James Bond. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Yeah, so I've been, like, since, like, I was off work for the holidays, I've been, like, mainlining all these old James Bond movies, and Goldfinger, the one with the GPS in the car, I watched that, like, a week ago. 
So I can't believe you're bringing that up. That's kind of a synchronicity. Synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. Not um, to get too far deterred, but just for the sake of, I'm sure that we have a lot of listeners that are also Bond fans, and we'll just leave this at this and not get too much farther into it. But favorite Bond. Well, I've thought about this extensively. It comes down to either Connery or Craig, as far as I'm concerned. Like my favorite ones that like actually watch is probably Skyfall. But I've just got such a soft spot for like Doctor No and Thunderball and from Russia with love, like the old Conneries. But no, if I'm gonna watch a Bond, it's gonna be either one of the Craigs or one of the Conneries. So what about you? So easily um, fuck, why am I brain farting on his name? Because you just said it like six times. Sean Connery. Sean Connery is my number one favorite. And this is an unpopular Absolutely. opinion because I really wish that I could have saw more of it. But George Lazenby, he did one Bond. It was fucking phenomenal. And with the whole thing with James Bond Service. is that they want you to live the character even off the screen. And he wasn't about that. So he had this like whole thing. You can watch documentaries on him where he was pretty much like, fuck you and grew a beard and shit. So like he was a great Bond, but he wasn't for the like aftermath of being Bond. So anybody, yeah, just. Yeah, and he got into some, I think, pretty, uh, you know, for the time, like some hippie shit for lack of a better term. And kind of went off the rails a little bit and that's basically when he got relieved of his duties i was actually just listening to a podcast this week about you know the making of on her majesty's secret service and yeah i I cannot believe this just naturally came up in conversation (laughs) (laughs) but no i think the thing about lazenby is it's hard to compare to connery and i think i don't know if you've seen uh solo the uh, new Star Wars spinoff or relatively new. Like, I think Her Majesty's Secret Service has the same problem that movie does. Like, James Bond can't be the weak link in your James Bond movie. Like, Han Solo can't be the worst part of your Han Solo movie. <laughs> so, like, I, I think the script is great in that one. Like, if Connery had done that one, he would have knocked it out of the park. So, so uh, hop back into Dogman, because I'm sure, you know, that was a fun conversation for us, but I don't know if uh, the listeners are going to love it for that much. So leave you it, leave it leave short. that part in. <laughs> I, I will definitely leave it in, but I'll just, we'll have to cut ourselves off and be professional podcasters. Bite-sized <laughs> Bond Bizarities. There you go. So it fits the theme. Bite-sized <laughs> Bond Bizarities, everybody. <laughs> so, Shane, um, just before we get back in, um, when he was just talking, I was thinking, you know, we were talking about like the whole dog man thing and you tried to get Woody at work to like stand up. Would you like to like tell that story? I think that might be pertinent to kind of what we were just talking about. Um, okay. So um, the family I work with, they have a very huge dog and this has been months ago, but we were, Orin and I were talking about like, okay, well, you know, if the dog stands up, you know, it's gonna it's gonna look very manlike and scary and all this stuff. Yeah, like all these accounts say, oh, he was seven feet tall. Like we know that humans are very bad at gauging the size of things. So our point was So I said, I'm gonna get Woody to stand up. <laughs> We're gonna see how tall Woody is. Well, I couldn't get that dog to stand up. Dogs don't stand up. They they don't do it. Like it was impossible. I couldn't They just wanna go back on all fours. <laughs> Exactly. Like he, this, he was having none of it. So anyway, 
That kind of throws yeah, out the but, theory of people saying that they're actual dogs because dogs don't want to stand up on two legs. <laughs> no, this I, I couldn't make this. I couldn't pick this dog up. I, I couldn't put his paws on my shoulder. So, anyway. and this is a big dog, this and it still wasn't dog. what any of these accounts are. No. So, oh yeah, yeah. And as far as height, he was maybe I don't know. He was maybe four and a half, five feet tall. I don't know. But, was not seven feet tall. He was not seven <laughs> feet tall, and he was having none of it. So definitely not, not six a, to ten in muscular build. NBA. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're actually all dogmen come from a group that's actually ex uh, circus trainers because you can't do that anymore, you know. And they teach the dogs to walk on two feet, like you know those old Russian circuses. But they give them steroids in the process, so that's where the bulkiness comes from. Is they're actually steroid circus dogs. <laughs> All right, there you go. In the typical Bizarre Encounters way, I got to throw out my at least one random theory that makes no (laughs) sense. So that's that's my one for today. (laughs) So uh, getting back into the Dogman stuff for today, and uh, we're probably going to start kind of wrapping it up after this one, and then we'll leave the other big encounters for part two, of course. Um, But I'm going to leave you guys with another uh, pretty, pretty extensive encounter. So let's get into this one. In Sparta, Michigan in 1987, And again, this one's directly from the experiencer's mouth. So I'm going to be reading this exactly in their words because that's the best way to tell stories in the direct person's words. So one weekend back around fall 1987, my two best friends and I were staying at my friend's cabin, which is not far from the small town of Sparta, about 20 minutes north of Grand Rapids. My two friends left to have dinner while I stayed behind at the cabin. It was dark and they were on a rural road. Suddenly, both of them saw something standing by the side of the road. In the headlights of the car, it appeared to be a human-like figure covered in gray fur. As they got closer and passed the figure, both of them got a very good look at it, and it was the size of a man, stood on two legs, and it was covered head to toe in gray fur and had a wolf-like face. It even raised its hands and seemed to snarl at them as they drove by. They said it looked like a werewolf out of a Hollywood movie. My two friends didn't dare stop. They continued driving. And of course, they peppered each other with questions. Did you see that too? Was that a dog? Was that someone dressed up in a costume? And so on. And as they were having this animated conversation, they passed by a sign that says, Welcome to Sparta, and drove through the small main street and continued on out of the town in the direction of my cabin. Their conversation about what had happened continued, and both of them looked up to see the same Welcome to Sparta sign again followed by the same main street that they had just driven through only moments ago. They hadn't stopped or turned around. They had been traveling in the same direction on the same road, but somehow without any noticeable interruption in their journey, they somehow had been sent backwards several miles. I remember when they finally showed up at the cabin, they arrived no later than what I expected them around 9 p.m. or so. And I remember how animated they were about their strange encounter, but I just assumed that they had seen a large dog and were telling me an embellished story in order to get a laugh. But 20 years later, both of them still insisted that this was not a joke. I had no idea what to make of this story. Maybe it was just some teenagers in a werewolf costume playing pranks. And did my friends really experience lost time afterwards? Or did they just make some wrong turn on the drive and didn't notice because they were talking and distracted? I have no idea, but I would love to know if anyone else has seen similar things in the Sparta area. So at least with this one, what fascinates me the most 
is, you know, it has the typical right next to the road thing, like we've kind of been mentioning. Like there's some type of interest in being next to the road, whether, again, it's that they see these things as big animals and they're potentially trying to take them down or they're trying to show off how tough they are. I feel like it's a combination of something in that field. Um, but the time slip, that's where the whole different dimension kind of comes into this, into this, where it was kind of what I was talking about earlier, where I think that there's a potential that these things come through in time slips and they're not intentionally interdimensional. Like they're not opening a portal themselves and fucking walking through a portal, but they happen to walk through different time slips. Maybe their reality is a little bit less structured and not as strong as ours. Um, but there's, there's some type of weird time interdimensional factor that comes into play. But again, I don't think it's them controlling it. I think it has something to do with the region something with the veil happening, but there's something, something wonky and weird, with time slips involved with dogmen. Exactly. I mean, I think they're, like I said earlier, my opinion, and this might be putting the cart before the horse a little bit, uh, as far as our theories, but yeah, I think they are flesh and blood creatures, but I think they're from somewhere else. And I think, like you said, when the veil is thinner, uh, in certain areas, if there's portals or certain energies or whatever, I think these things slip through momentarily the same thing as Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster or whatever other cryptid. But I think that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, these might not be these beings of pure evil that a lot of people describe. It's just a wild animal from somewhere else. That's scared and stranded here for the time being. And, you know, I think I've said this in another episode. Are these things actually evil or are they just a lost wild animal? Because, I mean, a shark is not evil because it bites you if you're in the ocean. It's just being a shark. So, I mean, is a dog man inherently evil because it's chasing your car? No, maybe, you know, it got sucked through a portal and is in a field in Wisconsin or Michigan. And here comes this two-ton metal beast bearing down on it uh, you know it's just doing what it does yeah it, it's a it's an animal being an animal yeah i mean like logically speaking too kind of flipping it into another method of thinking imagine you take a fucking bear and you drop it into another dimension where people are flying fucking ufos around like <laughs> like that bear may have an idea of what a car is because it's existed in our reality for so long it knows to like avoid it it may not understand like what it is in particular but they know that it's something that like humans use and that it's not like a blood animal so if they get thrown into another reality they have no anything to compare it to they have no background of it they know absolutely fucking nothing about it so looking at it from that perspective like dogman could either come from a reality where there is other advanced living beings that have different things that they use as different means of transportation. I mean, depending on how advanced it is, if it's some fucking like UFO type place, I mean, they couldn't even use like teleportation for all you fucking know. And there may not even be car like structures where they're even from. Um, or the other option is that they come from a place that's strictly just all wild forest where there's nothing like that at all to be even begin with, to even have any type of reference to even any type of vehicle that humans or anything human like could be flying around. So, just kind of throwing in another narrative there that, I mean, even looking at like people, if we got thrown into another reality and there was something that was like organic that people drove around and we were desperate for food, I guarantee you'd find humans trying to chase down these organic flying devices too, <laughs> thinking that they may potentially oh, exactly. be food. I mean, even if 
wherever these things come from, if it's just, you know, fields and wilderness and whatever, or if there is some kind of vehicle, these things are probably still going to know they're not in their home environment. I mean, I'm going to butcher this, but kind of a humorous analogy. It's the John Mulaney quote about like Donald Trump being the president about like the horse in the hospital. Like it's kind of maybe what's going on here. I don't know if you've heard the joke, but like, if a horse is in a hospital, he's going to tear up the hospital. <laughs> you know, it's not that there's anything weird going on there. It's just horses aren't supposed to be in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did I do the joke? You did it justice? right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's a horse in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe these dog men are horses in the hospital. <laughs> or even a bull in a fucking China shop. Just trying to make another analogy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But I mean, even kind of bringing it back even to even like more of like a real world kind of idea of it. Like, when you have originally had the like, Europeans bringing, like, horses to new places, I guarantee you the like natives the to any places, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the natives to any places, if they just came across, like, a bunch of horses, they're going to be like, this isn't transportation, this is fucking food, because they're just seeing, like, a big animal they could potentially eat. So it's just also having, like, a frame of reference of, like, this is a vehicle, this is something you eat. <laughs> well, yeah, and kind of piggybacking off of that, when all these people talk about this like overwhelming sense of fear or evil they have with these situations, I wonder how much of that can just boil down to you're seeing something you're not supposed to be seeing. Yeah. I think I've talked about this. It's the fight or flight response kicking in. Exactly. I think I've said this on previous episodes, you know, a conversation me and Jenny were having about this sort of thing is if you were driving to work tomorrow morning and an elephant crossed the road, you'd be pretty freaked out. Like, you know, that's your drive to work. You know, that's an elephant. You know, all these things are real things that exist, but you're seeing something you're not supposed to be seeing. I mean, even taking into consideration just how people's minds work, that if something pops up that you're not expecting and your fight or flight response kicks in, I almost wonder if your brain will try to rationalize it and make it more scary in order to trick yourself to get away from it faster. So like, you may see a dog man that's, say, six foot tall, right, and has, like, standard dog teeth, but your brain might misconstrue it and now make it eight feet tall with long, razor-sharp yes. teeth because you're just, you're accentuating the scary features of it because your brain is just bringing, is creating its own matter of perception, honestly. Yeah, I think that's very possible, and, you know, my only contribution to that would be yeah, I hate to keep beating this drum, but we know whenever somebody says, oh, it was X number of feet tall, we know to take that with an entire shaker of salt because human beings are shit at estimating the size of anything. So, yeah, if you're in a weird, scary situation, something that's five feet tall could very easily be seven or eight feet tall. No, I actually have a quick story about that. So I used to work at a bank and my bank got robbed. And um, they caught the guy. They, he was wearing a mask. And when they took us all back individually to describe this mask, what the mask actually looked like after they showed it to me was not what I remembered it looking like in the middle of this bank robbery. So, yeah. So memory can be very uh, fallible, flawed. Yeah. Human beings, memory is not as good as we would like to think and our our ability to judge things accurately, especially in uh, stressful situations, 
we've got plenty of proof, even taking cryptids and weirdness out of the equation, just like you said, like crimes, like it's not that accurate. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, that's adding a whole nother wrinkle to just this cocktail of weirdness that's going on. I mean, just a suggestion, if you're into these types of concepts, you know, you kind of have it in your mind of like, maybe I'll see something weird one day. Um, at least for me, I feel like one of the best ways to kind of get a height idea is of course, like you're thinking a little bit different when you're in that high stress moment. But if you are able to, if it's standing close to something and you're able to get like a, like a visual of that, at least like I see this thing standing and there's a hole in this tree. It's right next to, and that's all you remember. If you're able to come back later on, then you can kind of measure whatever thing was there to kind of get a frame of reference of what you're working at. But of course, like I said, it's a little bit different when you're in a high stress situation, but if you have the ability to do that and you have that in the back of your mind of like, Oh, I'm seeing a Sasquatch or a dog man, like do anything that you possibly can mentally to trick yourself to try to remember details about it. But that's far easier said than done when you've got a vicious red eyed glowing dog man staring you down. <laughs> well, at least before it starts chasing you, try to get an idea of the height. When it starts chasing you, all fucking bets off. Like just get the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Or get- just to bring it all back home, use your James Bond jetpack from the opening of Thunderball and you're good to go. Speaking of technology, man, where the fuck's my th- my jetpack? <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to have that shit by like what 2010? Like where the fuck's Dude, my jetpack? It's in the trunk of the Aston Martin. You're good to go. <laughs> the government has jetpacks. They've had jetpacks since the fucking eighties. They just know that if people have jetpacks, they're never gonna go to work. They're just gonna fly around all day. <laughs> Get high. Well they're legalizing weed. The next thing that's gonna be legalized is jetpacks. They need an ultimate distraction. <laughs> Give everybody weed and jetpacks. It's done. <laughs> Decriminalize jetpacks. <laughs> Oh, just bring it into a whole other fucking realm, dude. They legalize mushrooms and jetpacks. Can you imagine the accidents? They'd have to come That's up with redundant. some type of air traffic police at that point for specifically jetpacks. Legalized jetpack should be the name of this episode. <laughs> I'm for it. You have your one line for every episode. I throw a random theory. You throw in. That should be the title. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll make it a running gag. So. <laughs> But uh, that about does it for today, at least, as far as Michigan Dogman goes. And now that we've been kind of rolling and working on this, I think that this could easily turn into three parts. Um, But I guess we'll kind of have to play it by ear um, as far as when we start rolling the next episode. But uh, as far as the big encounters go, I kind of put them in date by or put them in order by date. And we're up to 1993. So. That's, that's where you guys are at. So on the following episode, you'll have 1993 continued on to wherever the hell we happen to land at. But uh, coming up in the future, we have this awesome OnStar call um, that has a lot of uh, a lot of mystery behind it is probably the best way to describe it. And then uh, we will also hopefully be talking about the, uh, the Gable film uh, on the next episode. And anybody that isn't familiar with that, um, it's very visual-based. So we'll talk about it on the episode, but I'm going to include the link and everything so you guys can go and check all that stuff out. And uh, as far as like these episodes go, I'm going to try to include all the links to anything down in the bottom. So if you guys want to go and check out the legend, the song, the full song itself, uh, I'm going to include that down in the show description. And uh, anything that's YouTube related, the shows will be, the links will be down in the show description. So if you guys want to go and check that out, go and uh, check it out in the show description. But if you guys enjoyed the show, 
a good way to share the love is to review the show five stars only. Hopefully, um, you can do that on Spotify. Uh, there, you can just kind of drop five stars, walk away. Uh, you can do it on iTunes, and you can leave an awesome personalized review. And if you do that, we would like to build those up and eventually get to a point where we can uh, share them all in the show because we want to give you guys some love back. And uh, another way you guys can give us some love is if you guys got some friends that are into some weird stuff, they like these topics, go and share with a friend. That's an awesome way to help the show grow, and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, yeah, for all of our listeners out there, if there's any topic you want us to discuss or a guest you want us to try to talk to, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, also, any researchers, we'd love to hear from you guys out there. Uh, but reach out to us through email at bizarreencounters@outlook.com or through our various uh, social media platforms. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys and uh, hear all y'all's Bizarre Encounters. And all the links we've mentioned are listed in the link tree in the show description. As usual, we're the Bizarre Crew. I'm Shan. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. And don't be afraid to keep it bizarre. 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 bizarre.